Hello, everybody, and welcome to InEvent Talks, a podcast powered by Eventland. This season, we feature the most futuristic and technologically advanced leaders speaking candidly about their experiences with event tech. Grab a drink, press play, and join the conversation. It's Vinny here one more time. Welcome to our last episode in 2023 of our InEvent Talks. This is your podcast for all things event management and event strategy. Today, we are diving into a crucial topic, right? That sometimes it flies under the radar. It's a strategic event procurement. All events has a very important aspect that is procurement. And I want to bring here today, Therese, our amazing guest. We know events, they don't just magically come together, right? You must be behind the, behind the scenes, gathering a list of complex contracts, payments, logistics, all those things that really matter for your event to happen. And this is where strategic event procurement comes into play and Therese can come to help you with her company. Okay, she's a true wizard taking the headache off, out of procurement for events. She's all about helping corporations. She came for a large corporation, Microsoft. Uh, so she knows how painful it is, this process, how complex it can be, and to help companies, event agencies maneuver those this landscape, answering, uh, uh, answering those questions when it's the side of answering, and of course, coming with the right questions. What you needed to ask to your vendors, how you make your um procurement process clean and efficient so yeah grab your coffee and let's hear it to Therese thank you for coming thank you for having me boy you teed me up just very nicely I appreciate that thank you yeah and to help me today I have Diana Diana will be here helping because she has checked and seen so many RFPs uh coming to us and she definitely has one or two opinions and great ideas to help <laughs> you that is listening, how you can be more strategic with your procurement. So uh, what kind of pain, what are the real pains that you can uh, help event agencies, event professionals, whatever the side they are to solve and you have facing so many times th those same problems? Well, as you mentioned, procurement can be a real tangle for events. And a lot of times what I learned um, when I was managing procurement at Microsoft is, you know, events have a very dynamic nature and procurement by nature is typically fairly rigid. And so trying to, to put a dynamic process through a rigid structure um, definitely uh, leads to some pain and conflict. And one of the areas, you know, that we're going to talk about today is RFPs, like you mentioned. And, you know, to somebody who understands procurement, it, you know, it, it seems easy. It's kind of like, you know, you hire a CPA to do your taxes, right? Um, but if you, if you don't understand it, I, it's, it's, it's kind of like having a root canal without the silly gas. So what I do is bring the knowledge that I got working at Microsoft and running RFPs 
as well as helping the suppliers and agencies understand what it was that we needed. I bring that all together so that uh, you don't come out feeling like you've got a toothache or a headache at the end of at the end of the process. Nice, nice. So you were saying you are kind of the the true CPA for procurement, uh, solving <laughs> all those you know tax issues that we face. Well, in our side. So. Yeah, it's an analogy. I, I'm not a CPA, so yeah, yeah, yeah. I can't yeah. claim to be one. But you know, taxes are complicated. Bookkeeping is a, is complicated, and so people who do it every day, it's it's much easier for them. Whereas somebody who only has to do it once in a while, and particularly you know event marketers, it's their their zone of genius is putting together a great attendee experience, doing the the legwork ahead of time to go through the regimen of running an RFP to choose the suppliers. It's 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 just not their area where they're the most comfortable. And then, you know, what I've also learned is is in many cases, procurement teams don't fully understand how events work. And so they may come into the process with not enough questions or the wrong kind of questions or too many questions. And, you know, and it's it's just it just makes it more difficult for everybody to make their way through. So that's why I kind of say I, I, I since I do it often, it's it's easy for me, and then I'm able to help people get through it um, more easily on their end. You mentioned something that is very important, Ray. Uh, procurement sometimes don't understand events, <laughs> and that's hard when they lead the whole process uh, without going back and forth with the event professional behind the the, the person hosting this event. What do you do to make this uh, alignment better, right? Between what, what, what procurement is expecting, what, it, what the events team is expecting. Is there something particular that you bring to your customers? Uh, well, yes, I bring, I was able to, to marry the two disciplines, if you will. So when I, when I started into procurement, one of the things that that my stakeholders complained about the person who was my predecessor was that he didn't understand their business and i said okay help me understand your business and the best thing that ever happened was one of my stakeholders said you're coming to an event and it was it was forget what year it was but it was microsoft tech ed in orlando florida and we took over almost the entire convention center so I kind of walked in and my mouth kind of came open a little bit and I looked around, I was like, holy cow, because there were probably 12,000 attendees. And, you know, as, as your listeners know, if you've got 12,000 attendees, you've probably got a, another third again for crew and staff and, and vendors and everybody that has to make it happen. Uh, and, and so being able to see all of the moving parts and all of the different kinds of suppliers that go into putting on event, um, you know, as we were talking before we, before we went on air, you know, there's something for everybody in events. You've got people who are building booths and doing kind of the construction side of things. You've got food and beverage, people who are baking and making food. You've got entertainment. I mean, it's, there's just all manner of skill sets that go into producing an event which means procurement needs to have some sense of what all those things are 
and the different um, ways that they that those agencies and suppliers run their business. Because if you don't know how somebody makes their money, you can't really negotiate very effectively with them. And so to me, that was a big gift. And, and that person is still a dear friend of mine, even though she's retired and, and has long since left Microsoft, as, as, I've, as have I. Um, that's the thing that I encourage anybody who's in procurement, who's going to be serving events, is to get with your stakeholders and learn the process. And that's one thing I tell my you know, stakeholders, corporate clients, if they're struggling with procurement, then bring them to the party, invite them to an event, walk them backstage. Everybody loves a backstage pass. Walk them backstage, let them see all the parts, and then it will kind of build more of a teamwork um, uh, environment as opposed to oppositional. Got it. Yeah, that's that's very important uh, because uh, we we face RFPs that uh, we we in the in the documentation right in the paper we were able to pretty much check all the boxes and when it comes to implement the product and the system the events team said hey this is not what I'm expecting you know like I'm I'm looking for these and that and all those different stuff so uh, it's a pain right. Yeah, technology RFPs are, are particularly interesting and complicated because, to your point, if if the questions or the desired functionality aren't clearly articulated, then what you think you're getting versus what you're actually getting, um, as as the client can can there could be a disconnect. But as the supplier slash agency, you know, if if you're not given the right amount of detail, then it's hard for you to produce a reliable proposal. And that's, that's kind of one of the other things that I, I struggle with uh, and learned early on is you do, I think procurement professionals think if you give away too much information, including what the event budget or what your budget is for whatever service that you're looking for, that it's going to um, hamper your negotiations down the line. And I just say that nothing can be further from the truth because you can produce an event for a thousand people for $10,000. You could also produce an event for a thousand people for several million dollars, depending on what the production elements are gonna be, what technology stack you're gonna be using, what kind of food and beverage you're gonna offer, so you can't just say we're going to produce an event for a thousand people without giving some kind of framework around what the expectations and experience is is going to be. Yeah, that's that's true. Have you seen any of those problems, Diana? Where like a customer asking things that doesn't make sense or? Oh, absolutely. You know, why are we talking, Theresa? <laughs> I was just thinking that, like, you know, because sometimes I see so many people struggling to write a good proposal, a detailed one, you know, that is personalized. But at the same time, I see so many proposed, like, RFP requests, like the, 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 the main document of the RFP from corporates, from companies, that it's so not well written 
right? If it makes sense. Like they don't share enough. They don't share what they are supposed to be sharing. You know what I mean? And then I come back with like a ton of questions, like, you know, a list of questions like, hey, can you provide me more details on this? And on that, I'm not clear on this, you know? So yeah, absolutely, that's very true. <laughs> well, and, and that's, so for agencies, uh, if, if you do get a, an RFP that's not super clear, um, that could be a red flag about maybe you don't want to participate because if if it's really badly written, you, you, if they don't know how to ask what they ask for what they want, they may not know what they want. What they want. So it, it, could be, it could be a client that's just not going to be a good fit for you. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Um, however, that doesn't necessarily mean you shouldn't participate. If you can ask, a, you know, if they give you the opportunity to have a question and an answer period, then by all means, ask as many questions as you can to get clarity for, for what it is you need. A good practice in the procurement profession is, you know, we collect all the questions, we answer all the questions. What I like to do is put all of the similar questions together and, and then Every, all of the suppliers get all of the answers to all of the questions. And some people go, well, that's not fair. If I didn't, you know, if, if I asked a question and they didn't think to ask it, then why should they get the benefit? And the response to that is, is, well, you may have asked this question, but they may have asked a different question that you didn't think to ask. And the, the best advice I can give for anybody is that an RFP should be an open book test. Because the ultimate goal of an RFP is to find the, the supplier vendor agency product that you need that's going to best fit what it is you need or want. Um, and, and in events, you know, it, as we know, that can be um, fairly complicated. So you want to make, as a person who's running an RFP, you want to make it as clear to the agencies as possible so that they have the best chance of coming back with a proposal that's gonna meet, meet what you need. Um, and then flip side on the agency side, like I said, ask lots of questions and you know, feel free to um, you know, continue to ask. If it's still not clear, if it's still not clear, then you know that's and then as as the client or prospective client responds to you, that's going to give you more and more indication about how it's going to be to work with them when the final selection is made. No, yeah, that's so important. Those best practices that you just shared, uh, it's a must, right? Like, uh, uh, but uh, do you say, is it better to just write down as a document with all the questions or also go to a meeting to hear some of those questions? I I've seen both, right? Like. Uh, if yeah. we go together a day in time, everyone join and ask those questions or they we submit. Yeah, sometimes it, depending on and particularly if there's a lot of questions, then that tells me that I didn't maybe do as good a job as I could have scoping the this the the work or asking, you know, either giving enough information or or um, you know asking the right questions. Uh, but also just sometimes 
you can't totally get to the to the clarity that you need with with a two or three or five sentence answer. So depending on on what the level of services or or the comp, you know the complexity of the project, I often will have a bidder's call where just that, you know, you invite everybody to come at that point. You know, the question, one of the questions that always comes is who else is going to be, you know, included in the bid? And we typically don't tell, you know, say that up front. But if you have a bidder's call, then everybody's going to see who else is participating. Uh, and, you know, and at that point, the, the need to get clarity far overwrites the need to maintain confidentiality around who might be participating in the bid. So yeah, if if they offer if they offer a call, by all means, at least one person from your team should be there. If you can bring a couple, I advise that because you know, I mean, we're all human. You might catch one little nuance, and your teammate might catch another one that you you know it just gives you more more minds to to come back with. And even better if they allow you to record the call because then you you've got you know you can go back and, and review what was discussed afterwards if there's any further need for clarity at that point. Perfect. And are there any other typical misconceptions that organizations or agencies they make when they come to RFPs? Is there something in particular that you see repeating over and over? I don't know, they forget about something. Uh, oh. <laughs> well, one of the first blog posts I wrote when I started my business um, in January of 2020. So let that sink in for just a minute. <laughs> um, but the first, what, like the first or second blog post I ever wrote was was the three deadly mistakes of RFPs. And you know, you can go to my website and, and read it if you want. But the number one question, or the number one mistake that I would see agencies and, and suppliers make is not answering the question where it's asked. And that sounds so simple, but when somebody is reviewing several proposals and several RFPs, you know, usually they ask what, what we'll call survey questions, you know, so there'll be anywhere from 10 to 20, I try to chop it off at 20 questions um, that you will answer in, either an Excel template or an into, into an electronic tool. And then the, the reviewers are literally going to have those answers lined up side by side on their screen. So if you're the one who says, refer to question one or see exhibit C, then you've just made the person who's evaluating your response go off and do more work. And, and we know in, in psychology and in sales, the more work you make somebody do, the less, less likely they are going to be to buy from you. Uh, so even if you think the question's already been asked and they've just repeated it, answer it again. But if I would say if you think that it's a repeat question, you should go back and read the other one because there's probably a, a distinction that you're not catching. If you need to give more detail than what's allowed in, in the space provided, give a brief answer, and then you can say, refer to exhibit, name the exhibit, 
and point them to the page and even possibly the paragraph that's going to add extra context to what they do. Don't hand them a brochure and expect them to read all the way through it to figure out what you're trying to say. Another thing is boilerplate. You know, I mean, I think we all, me included, you know, I have kind of my standard answers or marketing, you know, topics that I talk about. But if I ever use them, I always tailor it to be specific to what the client is asking for. And, you know, and the worst thing is too many I or we statements. If you're not giving good examples of experience, but you're talking a lot about, you know, at XYZ company, we've been in business for 55 years and our employees have collective experience of over 200 years. Well, okay, that's great, but how are you gonna solve for the problem that's, that's being presented at this point in time? So that's, that's kind of the gist of, of the blog post, but a couple other things that I see that you would be blown away by is just the basics of spelling, grammar, and punctuation. Uh, and another um, caution against reusing materials that you've used in the past is I've, I've seen both of these happen. At XYZ Company, we manage insert client names here. And then they continue on with the answer. So they literally are expecting, you know, this answer, and then they, they forgot to take out insert client name. Really happened. Um, or even worse is, you know, they've got the answer, but they've pasted it from a uh, a competitor of yours and use your, you know, so now, you know, A, they didn't spend much time on the RFP to actually customize it. And B, they've, they've kind of breached confidentiality for their other client by giving away some information. So those are kind of the things that I would, you know, those things, they seem basic, but they happen so often. And I've even caught it with a couple of clients who have helped me, asked me to help them review their RFPs. Another one is it, missing attachments, dead links. You know, if you're referring somebody to a place on your website, make sure that it's still there. You do not want a page 404 error. And then, you know, really the most basic is failure to follow the instructions. If, if they tell you, answer these 10 questions and you can provide two supplemental documents, answer those 10 questions and two supplemental documents. Do not add more, do not add less. If they give you a, a size limit, follow it. Because if you can't follow those basic instructions, then you're likely to not, uh, at least appear, not to be able to take their needs into account. Yeah, we. I think we believe we have this, right, Diana? Oh, yes. Did you see me like nodding along? Like everything that you just said, there's everything I agree with you. Because, you know, like I said, some things may sound basic, may sound silly, but you see happening so much, right? Mm -hmm. And like, I don't want, I don't want to sound mean, but to me, I think it's sometimes like a lack of commitment or effort, if I can say. And I remember I mentioned to you that to you before. It's like a proposal, it's like, a university thesis that we're doing. I don't know, like take it seriously, read it, like, do the necessary research, take the time to write good answers, right? You, 
you need to be personalized on each answer to stand out in the crowd, right? And by analyzing the RFP and aligning with you know the your capabilities, you can start your proposal process on like a strong foundation, ensuring, like you were saying, it's tailored to meet the client's specific needs and expectations. So take your time, see the details. I even saw proposals that you know they were requesting a specific font that I needed to write it in, you know? So sometimes they are specific, right? So yes, just put some efforts there and commit yourself to submit a very good proposal. <laughs> Interesting about the font. I'm wondering if that's... Um... Some of them are pretty restrict. Like, let me tell you, it was the size of the font, the type of the font, even how I should divide like the topics, you know, like the specific mm -hmm. type of contents. And I, th I think you notice that some of them are really specific, right? You need to do it like that. Otherwise, you know, disqualify. And other companies, other corporates, it's like, you know, this is what I need. No, just give me the answers and that's fine. Just do it in the way that you think it's best. There's, you know, there's a difference there as well. I see a lot of, you know, that, let's say, with these proposals. Well, and I think I, the government agencies, um, any any governmental agency, I think, is going to be most likely to be very specific about some of those things because, you know, there, there are laws governing how they go about making purchases. And in some cases, they may be uploading, you know, to your point, I'd be wondering if it was a governmental agency specifying the font because it may need to be pulled into a system that has you know, some technological limitations on what it can, what it can pull in. Um, but yes, if they say do it in Times New Roman, uh, it's not the prettiest font out there, but I think they, it's often chosen because it's, you know, it's easily read, it's easily, easily digested. And if they're saying you want a three page document, somebody, I guarantee you, is going to go in there with a size four font so they can cram eight pages into three. So that, that could very well be uh, um, one of the reasons behind somebody being that specific. But it's, well, and, and you know, I, I, we, we haven't talked about red flags yet, but, you know, what would be, what would be a reason why you might not respond to an RFP? And, you know, it could be that, you know, if, if you're finding the requirements that they're putting in the RFP um, onerous or difficult, then, you know, that may not be a good fit for your particular company. You know, just culturally, it might not be. Uh, but some other things that, that I... We can definitely I, delve into this more. One of those uh, government agencies, you know, government entity, they asked us to print all the pages, uh, from our answers, put in a flash drive and send this flash drive to them. So there is a lot of labor process on these, right? And on yeah. one side, you can say, oh, this is so, so much complex for today, right? Everything should, should be digital. But on the other hand, you think, oh, maybe it's not everyone that are going to do, do that. So the competition, it's going to be lower, right? Uh, well, there's that. Um, so I, I didn't understand. They made you print yeah, actual print. hard copies and send, and send a flash drive. And send a flash drive, yeah. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, like yeah. both. The, exactly. So both printed and then, you know, saved, let's say, within a flash USB drive. Like why, you know? I don't know. <laughs> Sometimes people like to get their red pen out and do proofreading, I suppose. <laughs> Who um, uses that nowadays? <laughs> no, I, that, that was never me. I can, I can tell you that. Um, although I will tell you the first RFP I ever ran um, had nothing to do with events. And um, I was actually working for a chemical distribution company and I was managing the fleet for the salespeople. We had, you know, company cars. So we needed a new fleet manager and I put out an RFP and three out of the four of, and this was a long time ago. So we actually did have printed stuff. Uh, three out of the four did it right. The fourth one just kind of sent me a bunch of brochures with literally post-it notes and whatnot on it. And there's like, did you get our proposal? And I was like, what proposal? You didn't send me the information I asked for. And, the, and, and I had done it specifically like what we were just talking about so that I could take each of the responses, lay it side by side and evaluate it. Right. But, uh, Anyway, talking about red flags, you know, if, if you're an agency or a supplier and you're wondering if you should respond, you know, we were talking about the specificity of the fonts, um, maybe the, the, the culture of the prospective client doesn't feel like it's going to be a good fit for you. That would be something to watch for. We talked a little earlier about um, not getting enough detail, including the budget. So if they don't know how to ask for what they want, they may not know what they want. Uh, if it's a cold client, meaning somebody that you just haven't really worked with before or haven't been prospecting to, uh, particularly if you're a woman or a minority-owned business, that could be a situation where they have found you somewhere on a search and they're checking a box because their procurement policy requires that they invite a certain number of women-owned, minority-owned, disadvantaged businesses. And, you know, if they're just pulling you in like that, your chances of actually getting the business are pretty slim. A couple others, you know, if, if it's just too short of a deadline. You know, Vinny, you and I were joking a little beforehand about, you know, a, a nasty trick that some procurement people do is send out an RFP right before the holidays and then expect the answer back right after the holidays. If you, you know, if your team can't realistically put together a quality response, then that might be a reason. Others, a strong incumbent. You know, if, if you know that there has been an incumbent doing the work for a long time, it could be that they're just price checking. Um, but that one's a trick question because sometimes the, the incumbent has been there so long that they kind of, the shine's gone off the apple they're, you know, they're kind of getting tired of each other and, and, and that they truly are looking for, for something new. So those are all some things to watch out for. And the, the only exception I'm going to give to this is if you're invited, you know, let's just say all these things are, are in place here, but the person or the company inviting you is a brand that you really want to work with. So it could be Microsoft, Coca-Cola, Nike, you know, pick, pick a, a prestigious brand that your company would like to have an opportunity to work with. Even if this, this particular RFP doesn't fit, 
or all of the boxes that you think it should, you should still at least respond because if you decline, your chances of getting another opportunity um, are, are slim. And, and if you do decline, because it's, it simply isn't your line of business and your area of expertise, make sure that you really clearly communicate, thank them for the opportunity, explain that you're declining because you're, you're not able to do that particular type of service, but then you could put a, a brief little pitch about the sort of services that you can offer and would like to be considered for. That's yeah, that's a great advice. Uh, probably you're not going to win this first RFP that you were answering, right? It's very, very likely that you're not going to win. That can happen as well. You can win maybe because they are just throwing to like a randomly, maybe it's a new procurement person, right? That doesn't have relationship with nobody. So it's just starting from scratch. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's so definitely, yeah, definitely answer. And, but I look for next opportunities. Yeah. Well, and then going back to follow the, following the instructions, um, the, the biggest, biggest no, no is while the RFP is happening, if you've been instructed to communicate with one specific person or one specific team of people, you are not going to do yourself any favors by trying to do an end run around and talk, either find out who the, the decision makers are going to be, or if you know who the decision maker is, going and talking with them to try to get more information. That is, that is almost guaranteed to get you disqualified right then and there with no questions asked. Yeah, exactly. And, <laughs> and going back to that, you know, because while you're talking about the red flags and everything, I think that, you know, if I can say in a nutshell, I would say it's all about you know, the qualification, right? You need to be able to qualify that RFP to see, you know, if it's worth your time to, to submit that proposal. Mm -hmm. And again, it's what we were talking before. Take the time read you no know, through the whole thing every single detail when it comes to events of course are there requirements for in person you know or virtual events hybrid so it's it's all about understanding the nuances let's say of each proposal uh, you know each proposal type it's crucial so it, it ensures that your plan aligns with the specific goals and expectations of the event events that they are planning whatever yeah yeah, and you know, there's a lot of ways you can do your homework. Uh, you know, you can, there's LinkedIn. So whoever it is that's, that's your primary contact for the RFP, check them out on LinkedIn. Um, you know, see what kind of posts they write, see where, where else they've worked before they came to this particular company. Um, one thing I always suggest is if it's a repeat event, you could almost always find website, um, you know, like the registration website or sizzle reels from prior year events. So if you can go and find those, you'll have a pretty good sense of how that event is produced and operated. And that's a good way to get a hint on what the budget might be if that's not something that they provide to you. <clears throat> so, and, and sometimes you might even be able to find out who the producer is within the company for that particular event. 
doesn't give you the excuse to go and reach out to them because like I just said, that can get you in trouble, but you can still use LinkedIn to um, find out more about that person if it's not somebody that you don't already have a relationship with. So lots of ways that you can do your homework and kind of step yourself up and give yourself a little better shot at, at winning the business. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Uh, RFPs are all about the right connections it has a big weight on the process right like uh who knows you who knows what you are doing of course not just about who you are but what you are doing for other customers for other companies and uh mm -hmm. that will reflect on the, res the end result yeah uh, absolutely and uh if we can talk about maybe some specific examples of your customers uh what kind of procurement process they are doing today is it more for uh, a new venue to find like a new hotels, new destinations. What are the most common procurement processes that you have faced? The, I mean, venue and site selection is a whole discipline. So that kind of falls under what we would call strategic meeting management. And usually there is either a team in-house at the company or a designated sourcing agency, and they're they're typically doing those kinds of RFPs. What what usually comes to me uh, is when someone's issuing an RFP for services, technology, um, you know, maybe finding a list of preferred suppliers to do those kinds of things, um, and then you know, like on the branding or not the branding side, but on the on the agency side. You know, one of the one of my recent clients was invited to an RFP for the corporation to select their roster of event agencies. And so that one was interesting because because that particular client is not um, they're not native English speakers. It's an American company, but they're not native English speakers. And so, you know, we really went through their responses because some of their phrases weren't likely to be as clearly understood. Um, but then the, on the flip side of things, if you're an American agency and you're responding to um, maybe a European prospective client, you know, you want to be careful of using, you know, uh, what do we call it? Uh, like a figure of speech, so to speak, because, you know, an American phrase may not make any sense to someone, you know, even in the UK, for instance. So, you know, that's, that's one of the things that I can kind of help, you know, people discern is, is, you know, are you answering the question that they're asking in a way that that's going to make sense? You know, and so that, that was kind of an interesting challenge that that particular client faced. You know, and just even myself, I was recently responding um, in conjunction with another company to an RFP. And our, you know, we there just wasn't enough information to really give a, a good solid answer, you know, and, and they, uh, we would ask questions and they kind of would come back with user imagination. And, you know, I think they were trying to get through the RFP process quickly and I'll just say that we were supposed to have been concluded in August and we're still waiting for a 
a final decision because they had to keep coming back and asking for more and different information from us. So that was, you know, a, a close and personal <laughs> example of, of a challenge that's, that's being faced. Um, so it's still know, going on this particular RFP that should, the deadline was in August is still going on. Yeah, 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 yeah. Wow. But again, and that one was one where it's it's a big brand. And so, you know, we, we went ahead and went with it because it was a big brand. And, you know, the the extra effort has significant upside. So that was, you know, a calibrated, <laughs> a calibrated um, decision that we made there. Um, and then just for, uh, for corporations, you know, the, the folks who, who are running RFPs, the big challenge that they're encountering is inflation. Um, you know, because prices are going up, labor cost is going up. Uh, a lot of, in some cases, agencies, as you as you know, have just left. Um, you know, and in your particular um, vertical, you know, the event tech sector, there's been so much, you know, consolidation and, um, you know, and just people buying up others and all of that. So keeping track of who's who's doing what now is is a challenge for event marketers and procurement teams. So note to to all of you agencies out there, you know, make sure you keep in contact with your clients and, and keep them up to speed. That yes, we're still we're still here. We're still we're still going. Um, but be mindful. I've, I've had a couple of clients come to me now where uh, they're agencies and they're being asked for discounted pricing because of economic uncertainty. And who is asking the discount? The, the agencies asking you the discount? No, or? the corporate clients are asking the agencies for. Oh uh, yeah. And you know most. Most of what we do in events is is labor driven, right? Most of it. Yeah, there is a, like this is the cost to get someone. It's to do yeah, this. and when, when you're this time, when you're buying creative services, production services, you know, even in your case, tech services, you know, you've got the people who are implementing and all of that, all of that type of thing. Um, you know, I don't know about you, but if I've worked eight hours in a day and then I'm asked to work another four hours on top of that, but only get paid 80% because of a volume discount, that's not how things work for people. Oh, yeah, it's probably going to be 180% more, right? Because you're right. And so, time so that you're not spending with your uh, cute yeah, dog. Yeah, Usually that, that extra time is at a premium. And when you consider that there are finite resources within an agency, you know, within reason, there's there's only so much overhead and profit in, you know, in, in brain-based or even physical-based work. You know, there's there's you know, you have to pay your people their salaries, their benefits, and then you've got to, to keep the lights on and, and you still need to make a little money at the end of the day. So be thinking about that. I mean, it's, it's not, it's not specific to the RFP topic, but it, you know, when negotiations come about, you know, for pricing, it's very likely that that's going to come, come into play. And it's just something that 
honestly, both sides need to be realistic about when, when they're having their negotiations. Are you seeing any changes uh, on the issue fit budget, right? This is a very important topic. It's like inflation mm -hmm. and how we make things uh, fit in our budget, fit in like a, in a real investment, not something mm -hmm. crazy. Uh, do you see like people trying to uh, share a venue, for example, use like the venue with other companies and partner with other companies to share that same space? Because we know like a hotel rooms, like a, a, a ballroom, it's so expensive, you know, yeah. and, and yeah. also all those like uh, AV, right? AV is very expensive as well. Well, and I'm glad you brought that up because uh, it's interesting because that came up in this past month's Ask Me Anything call that I have, uh, you know, because people were looking for ways that you can either you know, as as events have come roaring back in person, space availability has been limited. And so if you've got load in time and load out time, then, you know, that's time that the venue can't rent to the next event. And people are doing exactly what you just said, Vinny, in that they are starting to cooperate and say, hey, if we can agree on at least a similar stage set, and a similar AV configuration, then we can share the cost of the load in, possibly even the gear rental. And so then you're saving money, but then you're also saving time because you don't have to tear the whole thing out and put the whole thing back. Um, and that was actually a, a strategy that we used at Microsoft a fair amount because as you can imagine, the production value is very high. And so the rigging time and, you know, everything that it took to get all of the, the infrastructure installed into the space, usually a convention center, you know, there just wasn't often enough time. And so we would do exactly that. We would find out who the group was either before us or after and agree with them to share, share some of their load in time. And then oftentimes we would give them access to, you know, the lighting or whatever it was that, that we had put in place ahead of them. Uh, and so that, that is a great strategy to, to try to save on, um, on production at least. And, you know, and in some cases that, that definitely is going to reduce your labor expense, um, maybe not by half, but, but substantially. Now, if you do that, you do have to make sure you've got um, legal terms in place that protect both parties from, usually you just do an, an indemnification rider so that, you know, while you're sharing space, it's clear who's going to be liable if something goes wrong. Um, but nice. that's, that's what we have lawyers for. <laughs> yeah. You um, but you still yeah. Needed, needed to have the protection, right? But you hope yeah. you're not going to use that. Yeah, yeah. Well, what I always say about contracts is every clause in a contract is because something bad happened somewhere. Something bad happens. Something and we'll uh, potentially, yeah, very likely we'll, something will happen. Maybe not, of course, the worst scenario, but uh, events is all about like a plan A, plan B, plan C, right? Well, I want everybody to raise their hand if 
they've had an event go exactly as planned. Never. Right? And it, I mean, we can't see everybody out there, but I can guarantee you nobody raised their hand because it just never happens. <laughs> Most of the time, it's like, you know, you see, the old uh, analogy of a duck on, on a lake, you know, it looks like they're just moving along smoothly, but what you don't see underneath is the crazy paddling that's happening. <laughs> so that's what makes it fun, though. I mean, I, they're the solving solution or solving issues on site is probably it is what makes it one of the most stressful professions in in the world but it's also what makes it probably one of the most exciting i would say yeah you are right about that <laughs> uh, i know we changed topic a little bit but i want to go back really quickly on the challenges that you were mentioning the rest mm -hmm. you know something crossed my mind and I don't know if you see it happening a lot, you know, um, with different type of proposals, but I see some people not um, planning wisely, let's say, right? For example, oh, I want to, you know, I have an RFP to work on. I want to send a proposal and the deadline is, I don't know, December 20th, right? Oh, I have time, you know, let me deal with other of my priorities right now and I'll get back to that, you know, and then like one week before, you know, I really stop and read the proposal and then I found out that I have like 15 different documents or sections to fill out and they require the proposal to be sent via post mail, not email. So you're not going to have the time. Right. So I think it's all about time management, let's say. Right. Like read the RFP carefully, um, see the deadlines. Do they have a question deadline? What do you want to ask? Uh, are they asking any specifics for pricing? What is the submission format that we're talking and et cetera, et cetera. Mm -hmm. So, uh, yeah, and that's, uh, that's happened. <laughs> well, yeah, it's probably happened to everybody at least once. And I, I actually have a little RFP checklist that I, that I have available on my website. Nice. And that's kind of one of the things that I suggest is set the timeline. So when you get the RFP, open it up, put on your calendar and the whole team's calendar, when are quest when do you have to um, RSVP? Like when do you have to accept their offer to participate? And then when are the questions due? And then when will the answers to the questions be to due? When's the bidders call going to happen? You know, all of the all of the points along the way, put those in your calendar so that you don't lose track of it. And, you know, and then if there's going to be multiple people working on, you know, the various elements, which in a big RFP, that's almost always the case, put together, a pro you do it right, put together a project plan and who's responsible for, you know, the pricing part, who's responsible for the creative, you know, proposal, who's responsible for, you know, the company history and background, line all that out and make sure everybody knows who's doing what and, that will go a long ways to avoiding uh, what you just described. Because there's nothing worse, I think, than having that sickening feeling that, oh, it's due tomorrow and we're not going to be able to get it done. Um, so yeah. does, is that, does that help you a little bit? So much. And I think it helps everyone. You know, the, the timeline, I think that word is perfect. It's exactly what you know, people should be doing. and. Mm -hmm. Like you said, teamwork, assigned tasks, who is doing what, who is doing what and due to when, you know, it's all teamwork and yes, everything you said was perfect. Well, <laughs> and 
we're all involved with events and every event that's successful has a timeline, a work back schedule and an accountability chart of who's supposed to be doing what. So, you know, follow your own, your own practices that you would follow once you've gotten the client to getting the client and you'll be in much better position. Absolutely. Yeah. So access strategic event procurement.com and download <laughs> the checklist to yes. help you today getting even better in your procurement process. And, uh, you can also hire Therese and her company to help you. She will kind of make you way, way better on this topic. I just enjoyed our conversation so much. I was thinking like, oh, procurement is so boring. Like, but at the time, the conversation <laughs> was amazing. Well, I it's my mission to make uh, procurement less painful and less boring, for sure. I see you can make so this that. Has been, I've, this has been a lot of fun today. I'm glad you had me on to, to share some thoughts. And hopefully it's been useful for you and your listeners. Yeah, for sure. And um, follow there is on LinkedIn. Uh, and also she has a great uh, discount for you listening today. So everyone listening here, use the in event 10 code to get a 10% off. And is it for any package that you offer or specific? there's a there's I have a package of strategy sessions. So oh. if, if, if you need immediate help, you can just book me for an hour for a strategy session. Uh, a lot of times people will buy a package so you can get either one standalone session, three, six or 12. And of course, the more you buy, the, the more favorable the pricing is, but the 10% off code is for any, any level within that package. And uh, I sent you a QR code. So if you're able to put that into the show notes, then um, that's how people can access it, or I can just give you the direct link as well. Yeah, let's put it here on the video as well. The QR code for people that are watching on YouTube or on any other platform. And also for the listeners, uh, go to your website, right? Uh, or email you. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Email me and uh, or shoot me a message on LinkedIn and I will get you what you need. That's awesome. I really learned a lot today. Diana, any final message that you have as well about today? I just want to thank the rest. I mean, such valuable things that you share, like they are gold, to be honest. So thank you so much. <laughs> Lovely conversation. I also learned a lot, you know, so yeah. <laughs> yeah. I appreciate having me on. And, you know, one of the things that what I would like to wrap it up with is, you know, there's no good guy and bad guy. You know, everybody has to work together so that we can um, produce really good events. And procurement doesn't have to be the enemy. They can actually be an ally in your goals to doing that. Yeah, it doesn't have to be boring, Vinny. You can make it fun. So, yeah. Boring. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, make it fun. Put some music when you are creating your procurement process or when you are answering your RFP. Oh, yeah. <laughs> That helps. <laughs> Very good. Thank, Thank you everyone for listening to this. Thank and you. Uh, I hope you had enjoyed as well this uh, last scene event talks of 2023. See you next year. Thank you for listening to Innovent Talks. 
podcast by Eventland. If you're interested in joining our global community for event profs, use hashtag Eventland to find us on social media. Until next time, have a lovely day.